This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the second Sunday of Easter, April 11th, 2021, offered at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon were John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to the disciples in the upper room, and Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, the description of the early Christian community holding all things in common. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, um, the third most watched TED Talk, I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks, but where really smart people are given a short amount of time to explain what their big idea is. And the third most watched one of these TED Talks that's available on the internet is a September 2009 presentation made by a guy named Simon Sinek. The title of his presentation is How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And as of at least yesterday, it's been viewed over 54 million times. To help explain his idea, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, Sinek tells the story of a man named Samuel Pierpont Langley. Langley had been given $50,000 by the War Department in the early 1900s to figure out how to create a flying machine. Langley was the odds-on favorite. He was well-connected. He held a seat at Harvard. He worked at the Smithsonian. He knew all the smartest people, all the best minds that had been trying to figure out how to get man to fly, and he had plenty of money at his disposal to make it happen. He was poised for success. Meanwhile, in Dayton, Ohio, two guys named Orville and Wilbur Wright were funding their work on a flying machine from the proceeds from their bicycle shop. No one on their team even had a college education. They were the underdogs. No one expected them to figure this out, but on December 17, 1903, it was the Wright Brothers' machine that took flight. And amazingly, no one was there to see it. It would actually be a few days later that the report of the Wright Brothers' success would actually make the papers. In using this example, Sinek points to the motivation of Langley and the Wright brothers to explain the outcome. Langley undertook the project, which flying machines in the early 1900 was rather like the dot-com investment game that we've seen in the early 2000s. He chose this project in hopes of making money and getting famous. The bright minds that joined him in the work that he was doing were there to make money and perhaps gain a little fame right along with him. The Wright brothers undertook the project, even though it cost them so much, even though it cost them so much time, because they believed that a flying machine would change the course of the world. 
So the folks that they convinced to come work on their airplane, put in their blood, sweat, and tears, they did so not in hope of money or fame, but because if man could take flight, then the world would certainly change. Reportedly, when Langley found out about the Wright brothers' success, he didn't celebrate their work or call up to ask them how they had did it or done it or try to figure out how he could build on what they had done. He just simply quit. He wasn't first. He didn't get famous. He didn't make money. So he was no longer interested in flying machines. Sinek goes on to look at the story of the Wright brothers, the success of the Apple computer company, the power of Martin Luther King Jr. to draw in crowds, and finds that they have a something sim simple in common between them. All of them lead from their why. This led Sinek to develop what he called the golden circle. Imagine, if you will, three concentric circles, in the middle, the smallest circle at the center is the why. And then comes the next ring, which is the how. And the outer ring is what Sinek calls the what. He says, for most people, they operate in the realm of the what to determine the outcome or the product that they want. Once they know what they want, then they figure out how to do it, how to achieve that. But for a lot of people in organizations, they never get down to that central issue of why. For Cynic, the ones that can lead from the why, then to the how and to the what, like the rights, like Steve Jobs, like Martin Luther King Jr., are the ones that find a way to connect and inspire the people around them. They're the ones that let their why shape how and what and everything that they are driven to do. Now, Easter is not a single Sunday. I normally begin the sermon on the second Sunday of Easter by doing Alleluia, Christ is risen, and expect y'all to respond with... Let's try it one more time. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Right? There you go. We got 50 days to do this. We got to eat it up while we can before we're in the long green season again, right? So Easter is not just a single Sunday. It's a whole season. It's 50 days that we get to live in and explore the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to hear these fantastic stories of Jesus appearing again and again to his apostles after his resurrection. We need every day of these 50 days to figure out and regain what it means to live in the light of the resurrection so that we can hold on to it for the other 315 days of the year that we have to go through. We find on the second Sunday of Easter, the disciples have heard the good news, right? They've heard Mary come to them, coming from the empty tomb, saying, I have seen the Lord, but yet they are still locked away in their upper room. It takes the risen Christ appearing through locked doors, closed windows, giving them the Holy Spirit to turn them into the evangelists that they are to become. And so this community finally goes to Thomas, who wasn't there on the first night, and says to Thomas, not I have seen the Lord, but we, we as a community of disciples have seen the Lord. But even with this communal proclamation, Thomas needs more. 
Now we tend to give Thomas a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, but let's be clear. Thomas simply wants what the others have been able to receive. The others received the resurrected Christ in their presence. Mary saw him in the garden. He came into the upper room. Thomas doesn't doubt so much as he wants to have the same experience that the community has had. And so Jesus, not judging him, simply shows up again and says, Thomas, look, touch, believe. As a community, they held the experience and the reality of Jesus' resurrection together so that they could be grounded in that peace and love given to them by the resurrected Christ. And it's on this that they would then build the church. Also, throughout the season of Easter, we get the most that we ever hear in church on Sunday from the book of Acts. We're going to hear all sorts of stories out of the book of Acts. And when you read the book of Acts, you need to just sort of come to it as this is the writer of the book of Acts telling us what can you think that the church can do when empowered by the Holy Spirit? Just watch. Just wait and watch because the church can do amazing things empowered by the Spirit and live driven by this shared community experience of the reality of Jesus' resurrection. The reading we get this morning shows the formation of a radical community, right? Those that believed were of one heart and soul. They made sure that everyone that was part of the community was taken care of. Even if that meant selling property or a house, whatever it meant, they had the funds or the materials to take care of each other. Because they had experienced the reality of the resurrection in Christ, they enacted and became the community that the psalmist praised when he sang, Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity and all the blessings that come from that. As this beautiful community, as beautiful as this community is, the unity and care of the church them taking care of each other wasn't what drove them. It wasn't what founded the community and kept them going. Unity was not the reason for the early church. It was how the early church lived into the light of Christ's resurrection. The church sometimes gets caught up in the how and the what. How do we do worship? How do we sing? How do we do mission and outreach? How do we organize? How do we get new members? What counts as a disciple? What sins can be forgiven? We have regular conversations about declining attendance numbers, how to attract younger members with a different program. We get so caught up in the how and the what that we lose sight of the why that we are supposed to bring us here in the first place. Our why as Christians is really simple. It is Christ crucified and risen. It's Christ's resurrection that drives everything that we do as a Christian community. When we say, Alleluia, Christ is risen, we are proclaiming that resurrection is our present reality, not something that happened 2,000 years ago. And so why is it as a church do we get so lost in the what and the how? In a lot of ways, we are like the disciples on that first evening of Easter, locked away in an upper room, filled with anxiety and concern about what's going to happen next. Will people come back once the pandemic is over? 
Will the next generation still continue to be Episcopalians? Do we need a praise band? Do we need to have fancy live streaming of everything that we do? All of that anxiety we bring together and focus on the what and the how of the church. But on this Easter, let's take a breath and rejoice in the why of the church. Jesus kept showing up to those faithless, scared disciples again and again, coming through locked doors, closed windows, built up walls to say, peace be with you. And whatever you need to believe again, here it is. Touch, believe, and then go out and change the world because you have experienced the resurrection of Christ. And so as we enter 50 days of Easter, don't waste a single one. Give over whatever your fear and anxiety might be of the how and the what of the church and what's going to happen tomorrow to experience the risen Christ in Scripture, in community, in the Holy Eucharist, and reclaim that what we proclaim is that resurrection was not once, it is now, and it is always. So, alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.